We were delighted to get today's guest on the Comms Careers podcast, as we knew he'd have much wisdom to share with you, our listeners. So here we are sharing the conversation that we had with Kevin Ruck. Kevin is an internal communication researcher, author, lecturer, and academic. He is the co-founder of PR Academy, the largest provider of Chartered Institute of Public Relations qualifications. And for years, he has designed and taught internal communication courses for CIPR that are based on research and evidence that link key principles to effective practice. If you're an avid book reader or lover and learner, just like us, you might have one of his books on your shelf. Kevin is the author and co-author of Exploring Internal Communication, now in its fourth edition, and has contributed chapters to leading communication management textbooks. This was such a super conversation, reflecting back over Kevin's remarkable career and contributions to the internal communication profession. So grab your notebook and let's listen in to Kevin's story and take note of his personal career insights. Before we get into today's career conversation, don't forget that the Comms Career Podcast is brought to you by Joe Hall and Lisa McMillan. Between us, we are as passionate as you are about finding fulfillment at work and loving what you do. But any career transition, be that a new role, redundancy, or a return to work, can really cause unhelpful levels of self-doubt and worry. Joe's coaching will shift you from all of that overthinking and uncertainty to feeling really really empowered with the clarity to know what you want and need to thrive and the confidence to go and get it and of course if you're looking for a new comms role or hiring and looking for the right professionals to join your team lisa's extensive international comms network and over 20 years of headhunting experience and background in comms could open the door to exactly what you're searching for Together, with a genuine care for the people that we work with, we connect the right people to their dream roles and help set them up for success. So welcome, Kevin, to the Comms Careers podcast. We're delighted to have you on board and can't wait to get stuck into our conversation this afternoon. Um, So thank you for your time. I mean, uh, many, many people will know you because of uh, PR Academy and because of the amazing books that you've written and probably, like me, have got them on their bookshelves and have referred to them uh, for their, you know, words of wisdom. But I'm intrigued to understand, you know, uh, what we what we know and see, uh, you know, online and, and across social media in relation to yourself. What's the background behind Kevin Ruck? <laughs> what's your What's your career? What's your story, Kevin? Well, first of all, thank you so much for uh, inviting me to uh, join you on this podcast. Um, it's, it's been a really interesting exercise just to, um, in preparing for it, just to reflect back on um, my career. And I have to say, I am at the end of my career. Um, I'm going to be retiring in, in the not too distant future. So, oh, fantastic. Yeah, it's quite a good, um, quite a good moment um, to think about this. Well, I have had three different roles, I guess. Um, I actually started in customer service. So ah. for British Telecommunications, um, or Post Office Telecommunications, as it was called when I joined, um, in 1979. Um, so that's when I started, and I did 10 years wow. of working um, in customer service, dealing with billing inquiries, 
and also um, dealing with um, customers who had problems with their um, telephone service. Um, and, and also as part of that, ended up doing some work, um, which was sort of an, uh, an EA role to the district general manager, dealing with what were called high level complaints in those days. So if anyone wrote directly to the district general manager, I used to pick those up. So that, that's, that's my introduction to the world of work. And what a fascinating place it was to be back in the 1980s, because we then went through a whole period of privatisation, um, mm. which was fascinating, one of the biggest transformations of an organisation that I've seen, you know, um, and, and uh, you know, lived through it. Um, but I think that, that also gave me a really good grounding in how organisations work. So you know, when you deal with complaints, you know, complaints could be about anything, and you have to understand how, you know, uh, telephone exchanges work, how all that kind of stuff goes on. Um, so it gave me a really excellent grounding in basic operations of a business, but also uh, not only that, it gave me a good understanding of politics. <laughs> you know, ah. when you get someone right in or someone right yeah. in making a complaint or something, you, you know, my role was to go to the senior manager in that part of the company and try to work out and do an investigation into what happens. And you know you do you do come, you do come off of course a bit of defensiveness from time to time. In, in, I bet in you get. I bet you do. <laughs> but it was it was quite fun. Um, so I had two more stages to my career, and I want to stress none of my career was planned. <laughs> I didn't have a plan ever, and everything that I've done or every career move has really just been you know through circumstance. To be honest with you. Mm. Um, to a large degree. So what happened was in those days, BT had um, what, it, what it called a customer liaison group. This was um, a way of the company meeting customers and hearing about their concerns or issues or suggestions about what it did locally. And I got involved because I was in customer service as going along to that group, but it was actually facilitated by um, the PR team in BT in the region that I worked at that point. And so that's how I got to know the PR manager. And then when a, an opportunity came up to uh, grow his team, he asked me to move over. And I joined the, the, the PR team in BT. Um, and I took on the responsibility for running its community program, um, which basically was one of the most enjoyable jobs I've had because it meant going around giving money to charity uh, on behalf of BT. So I, I was the person who used to go along and you know, have the photo taken with those large checks with, you know, BT has donated a thousand pounds to this charity um, and so on. So that, that was my first sort of introduction to public relations. It's really more CSR, you know, corporate social responsibility, really. Mm. Um, but then that role broadened out. Um, and as the, the you know, BT restructured, I ended up taking on a role which was to coordinate national sort of PR campaigns. Um, that BT was doing across what were then 10 regions. So it's more of a kind of, you know, coordinator, planner, uh, PR planner role, um, which I then did for about another, well, as it evolved, it was about another, you know, five to 10 years, I think, working on public relations. And then I got a move into internal communication. Uh, job came up when BT was going global. <laughs> end, of, end of the 1990s, it was on a global expansion and I moved into a new part of BT, which was responsible for building um, uh, data warehouses. Um, and we, we were, were sort of a, 
a large acquisition campaign then, um, and I was responsible for internal communication, uh, where we were acquiring companies throughout Europe, um, and I sort of managed the internal communication for that part of the business. So that's how I got into internal comms, mm. um, which I actually, you know, then I kind of felt oh, I'm at home. This is a job where, you know, oh, I really feel like I've found my place. Um, and I know a lot of people say that when they move from PR or media relations into internal comms, you know, um, you know, you, 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 you know, it's very different to, to the, you know, the general PR role. Um, but I loved it. So really, that's mm. what gave me my passion for internal comms. What was it specifically that, that just drove you into that inter- in internal communications? Was the one... Key, key thing? I, I think it was just dealing with employees, but it also brought together my knowledge of the business, you know, which I'd got through my customer service days. Um, so I was combining a, a good knowledge of the business and um, the interest in keeping employees informed about what was going on and just working with employees as a stakeholder group compared to, you know, um, the, the, the media and other sort of um, stakeholder groups in my previous role, I just found it more challenging and more interesting to work with employees. Mm, mm. I completely get that. I mean, you know, my background, which we won't go over today because we're talking about you, Kevin, but, you know, listeners uh, have heard my career story before. But I think for me, the, the fact that you're so close to employees Whereas when I was working in clinical development and research, you know, I, I was so I felt so far removed from patients. And, and that's the beauty, I think, of internal comms is that real opportunity to connect with other human beings that are working for the same organization as you, having that shared purpose and vision and, you know, really cultivating or having the opportunity to cultivate that culture together and that's the role that we play as internal communicators and Lisa and I said actually before you you joined us we've never not met anyone that was really lovely with an internal comms we haven't (laughs) you know that that's that is the truth you know and it's um we really haven't people centricity yeah sure I mean I would echo that I mean I've like you know the third stage of my career is, is is becoming more of an academic um, mm. and a teacher mm. um, and forming PR Academy. But I would completely agree with you that the students who come onto our courses uh, that I teach in the internal comms diploma, absolutely joy, you know, to, to, you know, I learn as much from them as I'm sort of teaching. And you are right. Internal yeah. communication people are you know, the nicest people I, I think you can come across, generally yeah. speaking. Completely I know it's a bit agree. of a you know, generalism, but I do, I do think there's something in that. Um, you've got to, you know, want or you've got to enjoy working with employees, you know, to, to do the job. I think that's really interesting as well. I think I'm, I'm showing my age here, but um, <laughs> but I, I, I think that the, the fact that qualifications in, in, in purely internal communications now, which when I was graduating, I graduated in public relations as my first degree, the you wouldn't have even heard of internal communications at that point, mm. so at all. So I I, no. I, I find that interesting. I, I, yeah, yeah, you wouldn't have heard of it. <laughs> it's true, you know. When I when I took up that that role doing internal communication, I you know just had to make it up. There were 
literally no books. I'm talking about the late 1990s here. There were no books yeah, to read. You know, literally, there weren't any mm. books. Um, mm. I, I just had to go on instinct, and we'll maybe come on to you know that later. You know whether <laughs> it's good or not. I mean, um, but you're right. I mean, there were no books. The first book I remember is um, Bill Quirk's uh, book. Yeah. You know, and I think yeah. a lot of people we still use that book on our teaching. It's just, it stood the test of time really well. Um, but you're right, and I mean, I think. When I started teaching, I, I started in teaching public relations courses. There weren't, you know, when I was started teaching in 2002, um, this is teaching Chartered Institute public relations courses. There were no internal comms diplomas or certificates at that mm. point when I started teaching. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, there was one course, a master's course, um, which I think has now become the Institute of Internal Communication Masters that's run with Solent. Well, that was yeah. around in a different form back then but that was it really and that's what spurred me on really because i i really initiated the the first cipr um qualifications in internal communication um as a way of kind of helping people in internal communication learn a bit of theory um and i know some people think that theory is you know I don't know, sometimes it's a bit of a dirty word, you know, theory. Yeah, <laughs> they know. get a bit scared by it. <laughs> a bit scared. <laughs> um, I love theory, but, um, you know, um, as, as my PhD supervisor, Mary Welsh, she, she constantly said, you know, you know, you can't have a good theory unless you can explain how it uh, applies in practice. And that's absolutely. a philosophy that I absolutely, absolutely, um, you know, um, adopt through all the all the all the stuff that I've done it's not by the way just as an aside it's not to uh, be dismissive of sort of more abstract conceptual theory um, I think there's a place for that but in my <laughs> my approach is all because I suppose I've got the practical background having done mm. 20 25 years in practice when I come when I came to do the academic work I was always thinking about, about you know research and theory in terms of how would that <laughs> work in practice so that that's yeah. how I come at it, really. But no, it's yeah. great to see. And there's so many books now. It's lovely to see, that, you know, the more books being published, more courses becoming available, training, you know, on all sorts of topics. It's a completely different world to, to the one that, that I entered when I first did my internal well, comms role back. In the early on that, Kevin, I think we need to talk about your books, really, don't we? Of which, <laughs> yeah. of which there are so a few. I so. I might also interject with the thought that could you give me some practical theory on actually how to get it written because I'm in the process of writing a book as well and it's just taking me forever to get it finished no joking oh, yeah. aside Kevin's got free so he's he's on there <laughs> at least I think everyone's got their own style you know it comes to doing this I'm you know I I have to lock myself away and I work best uh, on books in the evening so you know so I lock myself away in the study from seven o'clock till sort of 10, 11. And I, I, I need that closed off, dedicated time when I've got no distractions to actually churn stuff out. And, I, and I'm quite, um, when I get into the groove like that, you know, um, I can, I can you know, get quite a bit done each night. Um, mm. But, you, I, you know, that can still take, you know, two or three months, um, mm. to be honest, if you're talking about 80,000 words or between 60 and 80,000 words, that can take, you know, a good two or three months of, you know, more or less every evening, for me anyway, to do. Um, but it's not just the writing, is it? It's the researching. Yeah. You know, you know, I, say, I, yeah. you know 
Yeah, so I'm quite a slow writer, actually. <laughs> so what 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 spurred you on to write your very first book? You know, was it what was what, you know? Tell us about that, Kevin. Um, well, I think it was born out of the fact that we we developed the internal communication qualification, um, and we were drawing off you know chapters in different books, for example, in broader public relations books, which were becoming published then. Um, but I felt that the course would really benefit from having a single dedicated textbook uh-huh. so the students kind of work alongside. So that was the inspiration for it. Um, and that's how it came about, really. It was part of, you know, the, the teaching that we were doing at the time. But also I thought, you know, it's about time that we had another textbook. And it, yeah. it's really a textbook. So it's a bit different from other books. I make the distinction. It's, it's, it's you know, heavily based on, you know, academic research and theory. Um, mm. and, and again, that's not to be dismissive of other books, which may take a different approach. You know, it's because the, the book was to be used as part of, um, you know, a professional diploma mm. that we had mm. to go to that sort of level of, of additional sort of academic underpinning. Yeah. So what what are your reflections on that time of, of authoring and teaching? You know, what, what would you draw from that that is practically useful, I suppose, for our listeners? And are there any insights from that kind of period of your time? I think that's interesting. I mean, I... You know, I'm, um, I'm somebody who dropped out of university. Um, huh. <laughs> mm, oh, yeah. wow. Um, and didn't get back into studying until my mid-30s. So, um, you know, in my own experience, I then found that really transformative. You know, so I, mm. I did a degree in psychology at the Open University. Um, I then followed that up with an MBA at the Open University. Um, bless the Open University because you know they really enabled me to get back into the academic space, and I Absolutely. loved the course. In, um, you know, the psychology at the time I was doing that really helped me to become more self-aware. You know, of my own uh, personality. So, alongside doing some Myers Briggs profiling at the time, oh yeah, um, you know, which helped me understand myself and and why you know I clicked with some people and not others. Um, but you know it actually then I became a study junkie so I just carried on and I you know I I did a full-time teacher training course so I'm a qualified teacher I then did the the PhD so which took six years so I've you know since 35 I've pretty much carried on studying but I loved it not just because I like studying you know I think that's that's great if if you do because you get a lot of um you get a lot of satisfaction out of studying I find but also made a big difference to what I was doing at work, you know, I remember once going to um, was working with a, a team in in BT, the IT division, and I had to sort of go along to a new team and set up a new organisation. I was popping along to the board meetings every month. You know, five minutes on the end of the day, comms update. You know, Kevin would go along. The meetings were like nine o'clock in the morning until five o'clock in the afternoon, and you know, as everyone knows, that they, they overrun and comms got shunted to like half five, and then. Oh well, we haven't got time. <laughs> Perhaps you can just. Yeah, you know, this was this was a situation, and actually, I learned a lot from sitting in on those meetings. But when I was doing the MBA, I could see you know the attitude changing, and I started to uh, chip in sometimes, you know, to the operational conversations. I sort of raised a few 
sort of, you know, eyebrows in the room. You know, Kevin's the comms person. He just writes stuff <laughs> after we've had a meeting. You know, anyone could do that, really. But, you know, then I was doing the MBA and starting to raise some questions. That that They started to look at me a little bit differently <laughs> after that. And I think that that's one practical application of education, you know, mm. be more confident and more assertive. Mm. Is that when you brought in the, more of the internal communications and you could see how important that was as well? Yeah. After absolutely. doing the MBA? Yeah. I mean, I, I, the MBA really gave me some of the, you know, models that I'd kind of been kind of, kind of be working through myself anyway. I mean, to be, to be honest, the MBA didn't have much content around internal communication. I remember taking it up with the, um, with the mm-hmm. HR uh, person at the uh, Open University at the time and saying, you know, why isn't there more on internal communication? And, you know, the response was pretty dismissive, you know, mm-hmm. about, about that being worthy of being in an MBA, which is oh, another gosh. subject which we might come on to. Uh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but um, you're right. It, 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 then, you know, I was, I'd done, the, the, you know, some, some reading around public relations because I was having to teach it at the time. And that started to influence my thinking about internal communication as well. So, yeah, it did come together. And I think the PhD really, you know, crystallized a lot of my thinking. And, um, you know, it helped me to really be more assertive about, come on, you know, <laughs> this is good practice. And I know it is because I've got the research, you know, not just my research, but oceans of research that exists mm. that, that, that demonstrates that what I'm saying here is actually good practice. It's not just me making it up, you know. Yeah. Mm. The other thing I would say about qualifications, because qualifications comes up quite a lot, not just on this podcast, but um, in conversations with, with coaching clients and in my comms network and people reaching out to me and saying, you know, do you think I should do this qualification? And I always go back to them saying, you know, well, are you really passionate about it? Because I don't see the point of doing a qualification just to get some letters after your name. It's very much around, are you passionate about the subject? Because, you know, academic level, degree level and and higher education is by the very nature of it, you know, complex and difficult to do. You know, hence why it's got the uh, the reputation and the, the credibility that comes with it. But I think the other thing is with, with qualifications is, there's that what what I found and I'm sure you would both agree is that you talk very much then about not just being able to articulate more about the business and and have that higher degree of of thinking and processing but it's that inner confidence that comes with it it's almost like and I do believe that people may not know that you're actually doing a qualification but they'll feel something different about your energy because you're projecting that level of self-assurance and confidence because you've got that background knowledge now and I think that's for me why I would advocate doing higher level qualifications and and building the foundations of your profession with qualifications to back it up would would you agree or disagree with that completely I mean the, the the students that I teach once they've completed the course you know without any prompting they would always say, you know, I'm so much more confident now. Yeah. What I'm doing, and not just what I'm doing, what I'm saying. Yes. And what I'm trying to do to influence, you know, uh, senior leaders in this organisation. That it's that confidence point, and it, it, it's um, it's just, you know, it's a, it, you know, you shouldn't really, I suppose, you know, need a qualification 
to get to that point. But often in internal comms and you know other comms roles, you, you're a bit of a lone operator sometimes. Um, yeah. So you don't always get that kind of like mutual support um, in your team. Exactly. Um, and, and I think a lot of the people, and we get people of all ages to do the courses, you know, so mm. it doesn't, you know, mm. it's not about, you know, how much experience you've got. It's about, you know, how far you think you're just doing stuff on gut instinct, like, you know, as mentioned earlier. And it may be that, you know, what you're doing on gut instinct is pretty good, but you don't know. Sure. <laughs> uh, yes. And I... what the qualifications do. Can you tell us a bit more about the courses and, and, and the um, academy? Can you? Tell us a bit more about that, Kevin. <clears throat> yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, we, we are the largest accredited um, centre for um, qualifications for the Chartered Institute of Public Relations. So we teach all of their qualifications. You know, There's a broad range from foundation, which is an introduction level, through to certificate in public relations. And then there are specialist diplomas, for example, in crisis communication, internal communication, uh, public affairs, digital communication, and a new qualification for sustainability communications mm. as well oh wow so we, we teach a broad range um, yeah we have about 500 students a year now um study with us that's incredible well the impact that you're having as well you know you, you talk about you know coming to the end of your career but that's that's amazing to reflect back on you know the impact that you've had on so many people's professional lives but also of course that does ripple out into their personal lives you know especially if they're feeling more confident and you know full of self-worth etc but that that kind of brings me on to the question around you know reflecting back on your career you know what what would be some of the key lessons or the key things that you wish you'd done differently yeah, <laughs> so that's a hard question i know it is <laughs> we like to put <laughs> we like to put people on the spot at the last moment <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> I mean, it's really hard for me to to pinpoint anything that I think I'd do differently. And I I think I said at the start, things just happened and I didn't plan anything out. Um, I suppose, you know, this is maybe it's going to sound like it's a bit of a trite answer, but, you know, one thing I do regret is not picking up the education a little bit earlier. So I had this period Mm. between dropping out of university and then starting education again. Um, It's about a 15 year gap. And I think... I so enjoyed the the you know doing the 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 PhD and the research and I mm. what I've now I mean the situation is there's so much research I'd like to do you know about particularly about leadership communication the way leaders communicate I'm really interested in that and I've got so many ideas about sort of research I'd like to do but you know getting academic research done is really hard you know and it takes mm. time. Um, and a lot of support and resources. And so I'm, I'm going to be left with a few research projects that I'm, unfortunately I'm not going to be able to do. So thinking about the research that you've done, Kevin, and obviously some of the research that you've not yet completed or may never. That's are cool. you putting the, um, uh, the video back on? Are we, are we back on? Are we, are we live? Well, yeah, we're live, Lisa. Ah. Have you lost us? Yeah, no. Okay, no. so... I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Kevin another question that I think would be nice to include in it that's kind of future facing, if that's all right. Sure. Perfect. Okay. So yeah, thinking about your research, Kevin, um, there's a real opportunity for us to think into the future and give some kind of not predictions, let's say, but some advice for 
you know, the future world of comms, what do you see that evolving into and how can communicators that are listening to this podcast really get themselves set up for future success? What would your advice be? It's really <clears throat> tricky to predict the future. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So, uh, but I think there are some trends that, you know, that, that, that stand out. And obviously that, that the whole digital transformation of internal communication has been, you know, a big, a big sort of um, development over the last 10 years or so. So I, th- I see that continuing and perhaps accelerating at pace. And certainly with AI or large language modeling, that's going to change the role, I think. And it's going to take away some of the, um, the emphasis on sort of copywriting and content creation, because, you know, uh, a lot of that can be done for you or will be, you know, will be done for you. I think that shifts the focus um, and potentially could shift the focus much more towards strategic planning, um, mm. and coaching and guiding senior managers. That's where I see the role going in terms of being helping internal communication to make the organisation a good place to work. So I think communication is fundamental to all of that. And I include yeah. listening in that. So that's another, you know, um, big theme I think that we're going to see more of, though the role will incorporate listening to employees as much as it does keeping them informed. And so mm. the whole the whole process that goes behind that, what does it mean? I think that, that if, we, if we follow this train of thought, um, both for research and strategic planning and for listening, it does, I think, require um, internal communication managers to get better at understanding data analytics, Mm. Um, building research and data analytics and insights into planning and action that's going to be more effective and beneficial both for employees and and the organisation. Yeah, I I completely agree with that, actually. I'm seeing a a bigger shift because I do teaching for the Institute of Internal Comms and... um, run their effective measurement courses as as well as support their diploma as well and there's very much more of a focus on the data the insights the analytics you know that approach and I think that's that's what really excites me I have no idea how but that is what excites me about the advances in technology and AI and you know big data and, and all of that machine learning because I think that will present us with real opportunities to to really get deeper insights rather than just the surface level insights on what uh, what's actually going on within our organizations. But I think importantly, being able to do different modeling and be able to segment our audiences much more effectively so that hopefully we can feel like and employees can feel like we're better connected with them with the communications and, and activities mm. and messaging. Uh, that really excites me to have that much more personalized experience you know, through communications and the cultures we're creating in the workplace, that yeah. would be very exciting to see. Yeah. It's quite daunting at the same time. Yeah. People don't go into internal communication to do statistical analysis, you know, quite, quite rightly so. Yeah. yeah. Of course, you know, you love communication um, with, with, with employees. So that, that kind of, you know, background and that kind of, those kind of capabilities don't all always easily lend themselves to your no. understanding of data so it's it's a, you know it's tricky um and i you know went through this myself so i don't have a 
you know, a data background. I did psychology. I did, you know, languages at school, right? Um, so I'm not a maths geek or person, you know, or, or person who, who does maths well, right? But I had to learn it for the PhD. I had to really learn how to do advanced statistical analysis. Yeah. It was tough. It was really hard work. Um, but what my, my point is, you know, you don't have to get to PhD level analysis. But, <laughs> you, you know, we are, I think if, it's just about being open to trying to understand a little bit more about data and don't mm. don't have a fear of data and numbers, you know, mm. stop you from, you know, you know, at least, you know, trying to understand how you can, can can use data a bit more effectively mm. yeah and i think i think that's the that's the key isn't it it's about looking for the ultimate outcome which is understanding your audiences better and if you know getting the data and and drilling down into the themes and the insights presents that opportunity to understand your employees better then you're going to be a better communicator because of that so it's that open mindedness isn't it with the outcome in mind that's going to be of a real benefit to to you as individual but also employees overall yeah fascinating yeah fascinating and um yeah please go and like and share and whatever we need to do what do we need to do joe share and like and (laughs) share and like and follow and give us feedback and yeah share who you'd like to see on this podcast in the future